So, David, it's been a couple of weeks since we talked. We have a, we have a lot to cover today. Uh, we absolutely have a lot to cover. Let's start with a couple of conflicting policy developments related to transgender Americans and their, their health care. Uh, the first part of this is a recent final rule from the Department of Health and Human Services concerning a provision in the ACA. And I'm just wondering if you could sort of walk us through that issue. Well, this one is, is actually really um, kind of amazing in terms of what they did, although it really does reflect what they had put in their um, proposed rule last year. But what it amounts to is that this comes, this really is related to the Affordable Care Act because there was something called the Section 1557. And in that, the Obama administration had used sex uh, as a way to also define sexual orientation and gender identity and use that to extend protection for people, gay and lesbian people, transgender people, and so forth, into their health care. Uh, so it's a, it was a very big deal. Um, but it also had to do with some decision-making that would be part of what, would, what it would mean to be um, a gay or lesbian person in a healthcare plan or transgender person. And so there were a lot of policies that were, were touched on by this. So even though this was specific to Section 1557, it, it has like 10 unrelated HHS regulations that they also touched on uh, in terms of qualified health plans and marketplaces. So this upset a lot of people. And, you know, there's a lot that we're going to be walk, watching and talking about here because this really was a walk back in terms of protections and steps to prevent discrimination. And that's not something that any of us are real excited about seeing. And I had mentioned that there's conflicting uh, policy, if you will, because you know at the same time that the the final rule was being um, considered and issued and then sort of analyzed, the Supreme Court had a surprising ruling on Bostock versus Clayton. Uh, what happened there? Okay, so the the courts are playing a big role in this, and and even before you get to Bostock, what was interesting is the main court case that led us to this final rule in Section 1557 was the Franciscan Alliance. And just recently, the courts had stayed any further action on that case in the appellate, at the appellate level because they were waiting for a couple cases coming out of the Supreme Court. And one of them was um, Bostock. And as you know, and people who live in Washington know, June is an extremely busy time because the Supreme Court finishes up all of its cases. And it usually holds the more controversial decisions until June. So in Bostock, um, Justice Roberts and, and Justice uh, Gorsuch surprised a lot of people and moved over with what would be considered the minority liberal section of the court and its four voters. Um, and so made a six to three decision in which they said, yes, um, absolutely. Uh, employment it, it has got to extend to um, your sexual orientation. It's got to it, extend to your gender identity. Um, and actually Gorsuch himself wrote, you know, you can't protect people on the basis of sex and not include that. That is just inherent. Uh, so it really extends the Civil Rights Act of 1964 into those particular areas, too. So that's a big deal and very much counter to what HHS just did. Um, so I think you're going to see another round of lawsuits, um, and ASN will be watching this carefully. I think you're probably going to see some from ACLU. American Civil Liberties Union. You're going to see some from the Human Rights Campaign, which is the, the large lobby for the gay and lesbian community, LGBTQ community, and also Lambda Legal Defense, which is also 
um, kind of like an ACLU of, of the gay and lesbian community. So um, there's a lot happening here. And, you know, we were just five years ago, we were, we were, we were the, the whole world was rocked when the Supreme Court went ahead and said, yes, you must allow uh, people of the same sex to be married. You're, you're discriminated against them. And so this battle is back before us. And it's on one side, the regulatory, and it's one side, the courts, and there'll be another side to it in November, and it'll be the ballot box. Yeah, so just as people are trying to wrap their minds around all this, I mean, one way to think about it is, and you started to, to go in this direction, is you have the Congress, so the legislative branch, and their responsibility in terms of um, the, the you know passing laws and, and, and providing appropriations and funding and other things. You then have the um, executive branch, the White House, and, and, and their role, both in terms of, if you will, setting overall policy and also through the different agencies, in this case, HHS, really kind of, if you will, in, in implementing those laws. And that's that's what this, this final rule would be part of. And then you have the judicial branch, which is sort of the referee and in, 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 in trying to navigate through as things come through the courts in terms of um, interpretation based on historical precedent and then what's legal and what's not legal. And it seems like for this specific issue, and this is what I want to clarify with you, um, as we move forward, it really is now firmly in the judicial branch that 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 will over the next months and years um, they will be um, sort of adjudicating, if you will, and considering all these different issues and hopefully providing something that will ultimately be you know guiding policy for the United States. Is that a, a fair summary of kind of where we are? It, it is a fair summary. We we don't get to where we are with this this final rule without having the courts involved before. So that is where a lot of this has been has been fought over, um, you know, before we get to the final rule um, within the courts. And, and as, you can, as we just discussed, and the courts are still active in it. So, yeah, this is going to be with us. This conversation is going to go on for a while. Um, and I, I think it's something that people, you know, every one of our listeners should, you know, follow and watch carefully because this is a really uh, important moment. And as I said, this on one level, the administration was rolling back protections, and on another level, the Supreme Court was extending them. So we'll have to see how, where it ends up. So if we move now to Congress, and particularly the, the Senate, um, and sort of just to, to discuss our second issue, which is that um, apparently a bipartisan group of more than 30 senators are planning to ask the government to make permanent the telehealth provisions that have come forward as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. What's going on there? Well, we've talked about telehealth a lot, um, and there's a reason. Uh, we're expecting telehealth to be $250 billion of healthcare spending this year, and it was it was next to nothing um, before that. Um, we have seen in the last month and a half an 11,000 percent increase in the use of telehealth services in Medicare. Um, that is an amazing growth right there. And so ASN members have been talking about this with other people in the House of Medicine about what we want, um, what they would like to see kept, and, and what they might say maybe we shouldn't keep. There's a lot in there um, in terms of being able to take some of the, the ones that are mandated for face-to-face -face visits. So uh, the public health um, emergency is set to expire in late July. 
And I think everyone's working on the idea that probably the administration will not extend it um, at, at this point. That you know remains to be seen. So actually, 30 senators and bipartisan group of senators wrote to Mitch McConnell and Charles and Chuck Schumer. Uh, Mitch McConnell, of course, leading the Republicans in the Senate, and Chuck Schumer leading the Democrats in the Senate, um, and basically said, "We want uh, to go through this, and we want to look at keeping a good percentage." of these uh, and keeping them and making them permanent and particularly within relationship to the medicare reimbursement which is i know sounds boring sometimes but it is critical it is key what you know so much of, of kidney care is involved in medicare that what medicare agrees to pay for is either will happen or not happen whether they pay for it and it also leads a private insurers to kind of they set the sound standard at cms and medicare so they're asking for a lot of this to be kept. At the same time, over in the House, um, another telehealth bill, a telehealth bill was dropped um, by a Republican and a Democrat, uh, Republican Thompson from uh, Pennsylvania and um, Butterworth, a Democrat uh, from North Carolina. So there's a lot of activity, and there's a reason why it's going to speed up, because like you said, if nothing happens, then a lot of what we're seeing right now will end um, at the end of July. And I think a lot of people, even if you don't want to make everything permanent forever, there's a lot here. I think people are saying we're still, you know, we're still seeing spikes of COVID-19, a lot of them in a lot of states. It's too early um, to move away from some of these. So walk us through the next couple of months. So, you know, as you go through kind of the second half of 2020, if, if, if the sort of level of cases remains about the same. It doesn't appreciably go down or up, but remains relatively constant, recognized it's in different parts of the country. And then just say hypothetically, there's a surge in the fall. Simultaneously, you have Congress looking at these issues and being an election year. So all of the members of the House are, are up for re-election. A third of the Senate is up, number of governors, and then also the president there's a lot happening in the second half of this year. How does how does the telehealth discussion play out? Do you think? Um, actually, I I could see the the telehealth discussion being a really a, a a favored child of the Congress. In other words, when when there's not much you can agree on, I could see telehealth being one where a lot of Congress could say we could all put our hands on this. We it, it will it will be good for healthcare. And in you know is the general approach, and and I know our listeners have differences about in particular uses, but in general, I think you're going to see Democrats and Republicans both saying, "Here's something we we can agree on, and we can do. We can make a big fix, and we can all on the campaign trail talk about the telehealth." Now, having said that, 2020 has turned out to be quite the year so far, so everyone's a little nervous about prognosticating on 2020. Because heaven knows what could um, could come next, but uh, in, as we look at 2020, I could definitely see this one being touched on. Uh, I think there's some other things that ASM is really interested in that could end up being touched on. Um, but we are looking, you know, if it was going to be something we we were going to talk about today as well, which is what's going to happen with the appropriations bills, what's going to happen with the government's funding, and you know, what can we expect out of Congress for the rest of the summer. So let's move to our third issue then. And, and, and as you 
mentioned, it really has to do with the appropriations process. And and usually in these discussions, we follow Bob Dylan's advice to, to start the song in the middle of the story. But I think in this case, we probably want to take a step back and talk a little bit about, about process. And so just so everyone's clear, the, the way to think about how the federal government handles the funding side um, there are discretionary programs, and Congress has the discretion to provide on an annual basis funding for those programs. And that appropriation, as they appropriate funding, um, occurs in a very sort of regular cycle. Um, so a good example would be the National Institutes of Health, which is, is probably the largest of the, the different appropriations. Um, but a lot of the defense funding is also there, and there's other activities. And then there's the entitlement programs, and the entitlement programs remain funded unless Congress and the president can agree um, on changes and, and, and pass laws to, to make those changes, which would then affect the, the, the spending. And a good example of that is the Medicare program. So if you think about the perspective of nephrology, nephrology is obviously really interested in the Medicare ESRD program. Also, nephrologists are, are paid through the Medicare program as our institutions. And then you have um, the Medicare support for graduate medical education, which is more than, than $10 billion a year, which is also something that affects a lot of at least the teaching hospitals where many of our um, ASN members and others in the community practice. So, so there's a lot sort of tied up in the entitlement side, but also on the discretionary side. And so as we're sort of focusing in this discussion on discretionary funding, um, the fiscal year is from October 1st through September 30th. So it's a little bit of an odd year in terms of as you think about timing. Um, so where are we in terms of both funding for this year, which ends at the end of, of September, but also as we're thinking about funding for the next, next fiscal year, uh, 2021, which would start October 1st? Well, that is that was a lot packed into that, Todd. Thank you a whole lot. That was that was great. Um, you covered just a, a big whole swath of the appropriations process. Um, but I, I, you know, it's it's a little bit challenging. You and I were just talking the other day about the fact that the Senate was looking at moving forward with its appropriations bills um, first before the House uh, was complete and. Um, I guess dating ourselves a little bit, that's kind of an anathema to the process that, that we grew up with, which was that spending bills primarily historically always began in the House. Um, so the Senate is moving uh, forward, uh, you know, faster than the House is probably moving. Do you get enough of them done, like the 13 that are needed? Do you get them done in order to be able to do individual appropriations? Or do you run up against that deadline you were talking about, September 30th, um, in an election year, sometimes it's hard to get them to focus. An election year with with a pandemic and many other things happening, um, then it is hard to get them to focus. So it's a good question. And I think everyone's trying to figure out, will they be able to do that? Will they be able to pull out separate appropriations bills so that we'll, we'll see the increase that we hope to see in NIH, so to speak? Um, and that's that's really a good question as to whether or not that is going to happen in time. Um, not real sure. And if it doesn't, then what you and I have come to know is the CR, the continuing resolution, gets um, added on. And my guess is if there was a CR, it would not be a CR for um, for the entire fiscal year of 2021, which would start October 1, as you said. 
it would be probably a CR that went until after the elections, probably neither side willing to, in the Senate in particular, willing to go much further than that until the elections are done and see who's in power um, for the coming Congress. So that is, uh, I know it's a wishy-washy answer, but in terms of individual appropriations bills, that's kind of the way I see it. David, again, thanks for uh, taking the time to talk today. Thank you for having me. This podcast is copyrighted by the American Society of Nephrology, all rights reserved. All content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be medical advice. This podcast should not be used in a medical emergency or for the diagnosis or treatment of any medical condition. Please consult your doctor or other qualified healthcare provider if you have any questions about any medical condition or before taking any drug changing your diet, or commencing or discontinuing any course of treatment. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the American Society of Nephrology.